Several years ago, my family and I uh, were visiting down in Orlando. And when we were down there, we, we uh, toured Wycliffe Bible uh, Translators headquarters. I don't know if you know Wycliffe is down there. Yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with Wycliffe. Wycliffe is a very interesting missions organization. They're not committed to church planting per se. They are not primarily uh, working towards helping existing churches. They're not doing these major evangelistic crusades, and they're not involved in humanitarian efforts. Their, their primary goal is really the translation of, of the Bible into the language of the people. When we were there a few years ago, ago they mentioned that there were 6,912 languages in the world. Now, out of those 6,912 languages in the world, how many of them do you suppose have a copy, full copy of the Bible? I want you to take just a second, look at the person next to you, and guess. Uh, 6,912 languages in the world, how many of them have a copy of the Bible? Go ahead, tell the person next to you what your prognostication is. Some of you are somewhat quiet. Uh, there are 6,912 languages in the world, and a couple of years ago, the entire Bible had been translated into 438 of them. That's it. That means out of 6,900 languages in the world, 6,500 of them do not have a full Bible. 2,250 languages do not have a single verse of Scripture in them. Well, that's Wycliffe's goal is to fix that. Their goal is to change that. When I was there, I noticed a, a translation that I just fell in love with. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to read uh, to you from this foreign translation, foreign language, uh, actual legitimate translation. And what your job is, is your job is to listen and try to figure out exactly what I'm reading. It's a very a famous parable. And your job is to try to figure out what the big idea of this parable is. Okay, you got it? This is titled, uh, The Worker Guy That No Let The Other Guy Go. Okay? A legitimate translation. Uh, then Peter go by Jesus and say, Hey boss, how much times my brother can do bad things to me and I got to let him go? Seven times or what? Jesus tell him, No, not only seven times, but 70 times seven. Then Jesus say, that's how you guys got to make. Because every time when God in the sky stay king, that's just like get one king that check out what money his worker guys owe him. He sit down and they bring one worker guy by him that owe him uku pile of money. But the worker guy no more money for pay him. So the king tell the other worker guys, Kaden, go sell the guy for make him one slave and sell his wife and his kids too and everything he get. That's how he's going to pay what he owe. But the worker guy go down and beg him. He say, ah, boss, try wait. Give me a chance. I'm going to pay you back all the money. The king get pity for him. So he let him go and tell him no need pay nothing. Then that same worker guy go outside and spot one another worker guy who owe him for four months work. He grab him by the neck and tell him, hey, you owe me money. You better pay me back. The other worker guy go down and beg him, try wait, give me chance, I'm going to pay you back all the money. But the first worker guy no like wait. So he tell the guards, for put other guy inside the prison till he can pay what he owe him. The other worker guys see what went happen and they all bum out. They go, go tell the king everything that happened. Then the king tell the first worker guy, come forth and say, 
You so unreal. You one bad worker guy. You went beg me and I wouldn't let you go and tell you that you don't need pay me back nothing. But how come you have no pity on the other guy? Just like when I pity you and give you a chance. The king stay real hoo-hoo. I'm guessing that means he's ticked off. He give the guy to the guards inside the prison for torture him till he pay everything he owe. Then Jesus say for finish. My father in the sky gonna do let it to all you guys. If you know let your brother go for real kind inside your heart. For all the bad kind stuff your brother went do to you. What do you think? What's the idea of the parable? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. You can, you can tell forgiveness even in a foreign language. That's right. This Hawaiian pigeon. So this is actually an official, official language. But, but forgiveness is an interesting thing. C.S. Lewis said about forgiveness that forgiveness, everybody thinks forgiveness is a great idea until you have to give it. Right? And I'll tell you, if I'm in need, need of forgiveness, oh, mercy, they give it. It's like, oh, yes, it's the greatest thing. They're not going to forgive me. They're not going to hold this over my head. It's wonderful. But when I have to give it, you can't just let them off the hook like that. There are consequences. And God is a God of justice, you know. And, and let's, let's face it, we can't just let sin go by. It's not so easy to give. And this, this idea of forgiveness has a whole lot of questions that camp around it. Questions like, well, are there limits to this thing? You know, do we just let someone run over us? And, and if, in fact, I, I do have to forgive them, does that mean they're just going to get away with stuff? And how do I forgive when it's hard? If sometimes it's just hard to forgive inside. I can't do it, we say. How do you forgive? And why should we forgive anyway? All these kind of questions. I believe that Jesus answers these in the parable in front of us this morning. Now, we're going to look at it again in English. But um, the significant thing for us is that I believe biblically... That unless we get a handle on forgiveness, we cannot enjoy relationships the way we're supposed to in life. We will go through life relationally dysfunctional. We will not be able to enjoy life or embrace life the way Jesus meant for it to be if we don't understand this idea of forgiveness. So if you've got your Bibles, if you'll turn with me, Matthew chapter 18. Again, we're looking at it in English right now, but Matthew chapter 18. I think in front of you, there's a Bible in the pew rack in front of you at 954, somewhere around there. What we're going to do is we're going to go through this parable. We're going to exegete, unpack it a little bit. Then we're going to look back again and kind of draw some applications for us. What does this mean for us? Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 21. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. Now, Jesus had just been talking about forgiveness. And, and you need to know the context is that the, the rabbis of the day would teach that you're to forgive somebody three times. You're not, it's not like you can forgive them or not the fourth time. You're not supposed to forgive them the fourth time. According to the rabbis' understanding, based on their understanding of the Old Testament, um, three times was it. You gave them enough time, enough room, they struck out, it's all, it's all over. So Jesus, so Peter here, now you got to know, you know Peter, remember in, in John 13, he's going to get his feet washed and he says, oh, Jesus, not just my feet, but my head, my arms, give me a whole bath. You know, it's kind of the way Peter was. So here, same sort of thing. He goes, blows by this three, 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 three times. 
He doubles it. He adds an extra one in there. Seven times. And he's probably thinking that all the other apostles are going to go, whoa, seven times. You know, and Jesus is going to go, hang on there, big guy. Listen, let's not get carried away with this one. Not seven times. You're okay. Forget that. It's too much. So Peter's thinking he's doing all right. But Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times or 70 times seven. Now, that is uh, not that we can start not forgiving, right, on the 491st time or the 78th time. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is that there's no limit to forgiveness. He's saying, he's saying Peter, asking me how many times you should forgive is pretty much akin to asking me how many times I should love my children. How many times should I love my children? You just love them all the time. You don't, it's not a quantifiable category. You're a loving person or you're not a loving person. And what Jesus says is you're either a forgiving person or you're not a forgiving person. There's no, it's not times things, those kind of categories. If you're thinking that way, you're going down the wrong road, is what he tells Peter. And he says, I don't think you understand completely, so let me give you a story. And Jesus, Jesus paints a parable here to help understand and unpack this a little bit more for his disciples, us. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. That's the Ugu Palamani. Uh, but since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Ten thousand talents. How much is that? Well, one talent equaled six thousand denarii. Now, a denarii is one denarii was a day's wage. Roman guard made one denarii. So six thousand denarii. You're talking one talent equals 17 years salary. Ten thousand talents. 17 years salary for ten thousand people. I mean, this is, try to put numbers to this. It's $85 billion a close somewhere around in there. But, but for these guys, this was, this was unfathomable amount of money. Rome uh, collected approximately 900 talents annually from Palestine. That was it. All of Solomon's gold in his temple. First, first Chronicles, about 8,000 talents. So 10,000 talents. This is like... All the money in the world. Now, how in the, how in the world this guy got in hock that much money? I, I, don't, I don't know. It doesn't tell us that the thought is, looks like embezzlement of some sort. And so he's in, in, in hot. You thought you had debt problems, right? Man, this guy is in all kinds of trouble. Uh, so what does he do? Verse 26. I mean, of course, he's sold, he's told to be sold and his wife and kids. He's going to go to Denner's pit prison. And that's, not, of course, not going to touch the debt, but it begins, begins it. And so the, the servant in verse 26, see, he goes down. He falls on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt and let him go. Now, a couple crazy things there. First crazy thing is this guy who owes all the money in the world. Is really just begging for some time here. You know, I, get me to Friday. You know, I'll get you all the money. I'll pay you all back by Friday. Now, where's he going to get that kind of money? You know, if Caesar died and left him the treasuries of Rome, he wouldn't have that kind of money. So where, but he's somehow, you know, desperate people. He's freaking out. Ah, I'll get it all for you by Friday. I don't know where he's planning on getting it, but uh, crazy thing there. Crazy thing number two. The master's 
that the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Ah, that's an incredible... I mean, this, this, this king must be fairly wealthy to, to erase a debt that, that huge. But he does. Let's him go. And you would think that the servant would be incredibly overflowing with gratitude, just overwhelmed with, with what he's been offered. Verse 28, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Just a few things to notice. First of all, he, he was owed a hundred denarii. Now, this is not... Chump change. We think sometimes, well, this guy was forgiven a lot, but he just, you know, was owed, uh, you know, someone else was in debt to him just a couple of nickels. A hundred denarii. You know, one third of the year worth of salary. What, $15,000? This is a substantial, Jesus is letting us know, this guy was owed a substantial sum. This was going to hurt him to just forgive this debt. This was costly. This was, how could he make it if he just forgave this debt? But so, so this was just a substantial thing. Then, then notice, too, that uh, he got physical with the guy. Uh, the king didn't get physical here with him. He got physical with the guy. Uh, the, 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 the guy fell on his knees and begged him with using some of the exact same words that he had used previous. But he refused. Instead, he went off. And had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. I don't know how he was going to figure out how to pay the debt when he was in prison, but that, that's, this is just a parable. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they were greatly distressed not because there were debtors' prisons at this point, which was, which was common, but because they knew that this man had been forgiven much. And they went and they told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart, keep in mind, Jesus is talking to his disciples. This is how my father will treat each of you unless you forgive your, your brother from your heart. Now, this is a difficult saying of Jesus, but it's similar to what he said just a few chapters earlier in Matthew 6. Remember, his, his disciples come to him and they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. He says, okay, I'm going to teach you how to pray. Famous prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He's not teaching them something. He's not saying when you pray, say this. But this is how they're to pray. This is the, the, the pattern. Uh, heart, art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So this is, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then in Matthew, Jesus stops. He says, now, I said, just said a line in that prayer that you might want to gloss over. You might not understand. So let me point this out to you. And out of the whole prayer, there's only one line that Jesus wants to point out and elaborate on. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, he says this, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, 
your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Again, these two verses, taken in isolation from the rest of, of the Scripture, pose a couple of the most problem passages in, in, in the whole book. And let, this is a parenthetical note. Let me say, though, that you cannot, this is why you cannot take a verse of Scripture and build a doctrine on it. There is a, a, uh, a rule of hermeneutics, how to interpret Scripture, and it says this. It says, unless a doctrine sums up all of what Scripture says about it, it cannot be considered biblical. So you hear, unless the doctrine sums up all of what Scripture says about it, it cannot be considered biblical. Because when you take what Jesus said here with the rest of the New Testament, this makes great sense. I mean, Paul will say the same thing. James will say the same thing. John will say the same thing. That a life that truly is, is repentant, truly understands forgiveness and is, is come to know Christ, will show it. Jesus will say this way. He'll say, by their, by their fruit, right, you'll know them. I mean, Paul's going to go on and preach this. James will say that uh, faith without works is dead. And so what Jesus is saying here, very significant, is this. Being a forgiving person is the surest sign that you are a forgiven person. One more time. Being a forgiving person is, is, is the surest sign that you are a forgiving person. He's saying salvation is not precipitated on, on whether you forgive. Can you imagine this? I forgive and then I don't forgive and then I get, get, get convicted so I get forgiven. So I'm saved. Now I'm not saved anymore. Then I'm saved again. And what if you've forgiven everybody all your days and then you're, you're, you're driving in a car and you get in a fight with your boy and he says, Mommy, forgive me. And, you're, and all of a sudden you get in an accident and you're killed. What, what happens then? You lose everything, right? Because you weren't forgiving at, at the very end. Is our salvation dependent on whether we can forgive or not forgive if we take all of Scripture as a whole? It's certainly not. It's certainly not. Now, let, let me, let me um, paint it this way for you. And this, is, this helps me. I don't know if this will help anybody, but it helps me. If some Sunday afternoon in September you show up at Heinz Field wearing a, the black and gold. I mean, you, you are decked out. And you, you bought this online, and this is authentic stuff. I mean, this is what, what all of the Steelers are wearing. I mean, this, this is authentic stuff. And you got it all. And so you go to the back gate, and you're trying to get in, and the guard is right there, and you're saying, hey, listen, man, look at me. Would you just look at me? Come on, it's time to play. Let me on. Are you going to get in? Are you going to get on the field? Probably not. Now, you're looking like one. Certainly, they're not wearing anything more than you are. You're looking like one. But you don't have a contract. You're not on the roster. And uh, similarly, conversely, Big Ben on Sunday afternoon cannot be sitting in the locker room saying, I think I'll put on the green and gold today. He can't go down that road. Even if he wanted to, which of course he does, he couldn't go down that road. He can't decide, I think I'll dress like a chief today. He's under contract. He has to don the black and gold. And Jesus said, if you are a believer... You truly are. You've got the contract. You know what? You are going to dress like you're on the team. You will. Now, he doesn't just assume that this is something that automatically happens to us, because if he did, he wouldn't have to give us a big teaching thing on it. But he's letting us know that this is incredibly important to him. And so let me just throw this out for a second. If you're claiming to know him, 
and you're claiming to follow him. But there's a uh, someone that you are not forgiving. I'm not about to tell you you're not a believer, but I am going to tell you this is incredibly important to Jesus. And if you, you choose to intentionally stay in that place, I don't know if I would say based on Scripture you've got a whole lot of assurance that you're going in the right direction spiritually. Well, what is uh, forgiveness? Maybe we should, we should ask that question. That's kind of an important question, isn't it? If we look at, look at the, the, the text for, ju- for just a minute, just notice a couple things about it. Because forgiveness is not soft-pedaling sin. The king here does not look at this guy who owes him the suku pile of money and say, piece of cake, don't worry about it. It's not an issue. You know, hey, we all blow it. It's okay. He doesn't do that. The king knows very well how much money he's owed. And he knows what the consequences are. Okay, sell this guy, sell his wife, sell his kids, sell everything, liquidate everything he's got. He knows. But, But even though he understands that, notice what he does and doesn't do here. In his forgiveness. He doesn't browbeat the guy. You idiot. I can't believe what a stupid he's stealing and negligent again. But oh, where were you born? He doesn't browbeat the guy and call that forgiveness. I'm going to forgive you, but I'm going to beat you up verbally. King doesn't do that. King doesn't put him on probation. Okay. 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 I'll forgive you this time. But if it happens again. King doesn't put him on a payment plan. I'll tell you what, you're going to have to pay for part of what you do. You've hurt me. You're going to have to pay part of this. Just so you know, King doesn't do that. He offers mercy. Mercy. Now, the folk guy had to ask for forgiveness, but he gave him mercy. They're pure. Shredded all the doc, erased everything, closed the account. It was it was it was mercy there. The, the uh, King grants Pure forgiveness to this guy. Uh, very significant. Notice that it was not just words. But he had, he had to take a hit here financially. You know, we, we see uh, uh, Johnny tell Susie that you're sorry. I'm sorry. You know, Susie, tell Johnny that you're, you forgive him. I forgive you. Well, probably the kid's not sorry and probably the other kid did not forgive him. Because Jesus says here, what? Uh, Verse 35, he says, unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Now, keep in mind, heart is not, not we, we equate it in the Western world, is emotion. It's our seat of emotion. It's our feelings. Ah. Uh, it incorporated the emotions, but it was really the place of volition. So when Jesus says you must forgive from your heart, what he's saying is that forgiveness is a choice. It's not a feeling. The nice thing with that is I can't say, well, I'm going to, I I can't forgive. No, you can because it's a choice. It's a choice, not a feeling to forgive the other person, to erase their debt. Uh, You know, this is an ex, this is just a great passage here because of a couple of things that uh, happens with this. Forgiveness is a choice by an offended person to erase the debt of the offender. Okay, it's, it's, it's. Now, does the offender deserve forgiveness? Well, absolutely not. If they deserved it, it wouldn't be forgiveness, right? It would be, it would be wages. It's the whole goal of forgiveness is they don't deserve it. Also, the, the, the parable here is set in a, a accounting kind of motif. Jesus knows what we need to help us understand 
uh, forgiveness. He says forgiveness is really closing the account, closing the books. Now, if somebody has hurt you in the past, good possibility you've got an account open in your, your internal ledger. Maybe you're thinking, you know, all I wanted was a normal childhood. That's what I should have had. I just needed a dad who loved me more than he loved his bottle. Is that too much to ask? You know, I just wanted to be able to go to school and not have to try to cover up the alcoholism in my house and the dysfunction in my home. My parents ruined my life. Or I can't believe her. She told me we would grow old together and that, that she would, we would raise our kids together. And now, now look, my life is destroyed. She owes me. Or I trusted him when he said this was a sure deal. I banked everything on it, my everything, and now it's gone. Or I've done virtually nothing and my reputation has been evaporated because of these people. They owe me. Listen, if we're thinking like that, then what happens is, is in our heart, we've got a ledger page with their name on it with lots of red ink. They owe us. And when we talk about now, we might say, remember, we might forgiveness are not words. I might say, oh, I forgive them. But when I talk about this, if if anger and bitterness are there, odds are high the account's still open. Odds are high that the account is still open. So what do you what do you do with with this? Yes. Very very significant. Why should we forgive? Uh, why should we close the account? Uh, several different reasons. First reason we need to know is that forgiveness is because forgiveness is who Jesus is. Uh, if you did a, a, a physical DNA check on you, I'm guessing from what I'm told, I'm not a, a geneticist, but I'm told it would match your father's. If you do a spiritual DNA test on you as a believer, theoretically, it ought to match your father's. And God has forgiveness written on every chromosome he has. If I'm not mistaken, that's the whole goal of this book of history is God's plan for redemption, forgiveness. That's what he's all about. Forgiveness. None of us would be here if it was not for his forgiveness. It's who he is. And if we claim to know him, what are we saying? We're saying that we got to a point one day where we realized that in his ledger, with our name at the top, lots of red ink. We owed him a lot. So an uku pile of sin. We, we had a ton of it. And there was no way, there's no way we could repay it. But he erased the debt. He paid it for us through Jesus. And, and it, it, would, it would seem here, you know, back in, in our text, when, when the, the, the king is talking to the... Um, Servant, I don't have this on screen, I don't think, but he says, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? The expectation from the king is that we reflect him. If he gives us that forgiveness, that we reflect that type of forgiveness. So one of the, the, the first reasons why we would do this is because that's who he is. We're seeking to reflect him. The second reason why we would uh, seek to be forgiving people is not just because he is forgiving, but because it's a command. And we could look at a lot of different places for this. But but Colossians 3.13. It says, bear with each other 
And forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, just look at that for a second. A command to forgive is in the imperative. It's not a suggestion. It's not an option. To not forgive is sin. Now, follow my thinking on this for a minute. If I do not forgive then what I'm doing is I am sinning against God. I am committing at least a great a sin against God as this other person, whoever he or she may be, or they, have committed against me. When we choose to be disobedient, that's not forgive, really that's what it is. You cannot, you just cannot walk close to Christ and have that, that ledger open, have that account still open with somebody. Now, the goofy thing with this is, you know as well as I do, that some of these accounts were, were uh, brought up. Some of these bills were given to us years and years and years ago. And the people who owe us may not even be around here. They States away. They may have died. But we have that account still open. They owe us. And by golly, we are not going to rest until that has been paid in full. But it's just not going to be. Which means what? We are going to be miserable people. And and the crazy thing is this. They've already taken so much. Should we give them our relationship with God as well? And we say, you know, it's, it's enough. Now, another reason why we should forgive is because to not forgive is a satanic trap. According to, according to Scripture, it's a satanic trap. Trap. Second Corinthians two six to eleven. It says the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. Now, instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him, so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm, reaffirm your love for him. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. In order that Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. This idea of of outwitting, of schemes, it speaks of a trap. When we fall into the unforgiveness trap, we are exactly where Satan wants us to be. Let me ask you, are you in a trap this morning? Do you have some accounts open with some folk this morning? So just just so to so stay there, really, what, what, we, what we're saying when we stay there is, is Satan, I want you to come into my life and take control and affect all my relationships. And I'm just living for you. That's, in fact, what is happening. It is a satanic trap. That's one of the reasons we, 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 we give it away. We get back on this thing. Also, it, it comes with uh, the torturers. Now, we don't want to spend a whole lot of time with this because it's a parable. And in a parable, there's one big idea, which I believe is um, this idea of being a forgiving person is the surest sign that you're a forgiven person. However, somewhere we deal with this being handed over to the torturers. It would seem to me, and again, just in my own mind, it would seem to me, and you know if you've met somebody who's an unforgiving person, what has happened is they become bitter, they become angry, nobody likes being around them. I, for one, can't tell you that they enjoy living life. Maybe that's the torturers. Folk 
who, who uh, enjoy life as Christ meant it to be are not people who've had nothing bad happen to them, but people who are forgiving people. That's really the difference with this. Now you might say, okay, well, how do I do this? Because listen, some stuff that's happened, I'm telling you what, some big time stuff, if you knew my story, on and on and on. No doubt, some horrific things. There are no exceptions, though, it seems in the text. So a couple different ways. How do you, you forgive? First you do is, is, is you ask him to help you. Ask him for the ability to forgive. Or I would, very practically, I would suggest you read over this passage over and over and over and over, praying that, God, would you help me see how much I've been forgiven by you? Because according to the text, it sure seems to say that when we understand how much we've been forgiven, our ability to forgive is so much greater. One of the reasons why we don't... uh, even want to go there is because we really don't sometimes we just don't want to forgive because we sense we feel that if I forgive if I close the account I'm letting this person off there's going to be no consequences for them they're getting away with something Um, not that anyone in here would have ever experienced this but I've been told that if in fact you, you do not pay your bills whoever it is you don't pay them to for whatever reason in time, after they threaten you left and right for a while, they will turn you over to a collection agency. Now, for them, they've sold your account. They're, they're fine. They're, it's off their books. They're not worried about it. But the collection agency is coming after you. Now, here's the deal. We should turn the account over to God as our collection agency and let him worry about it. In um, Romans chapter 12. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. It would seem that that to decide to take the, the revenge into your own hands is taking away God's wrath. And he's got torturers working for him. He's got access to do more justly with this situation than you and I could ever hope to do. For it's written, I, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Uh, God can execute justice on these things much better than we can. Something else that you might need to do. And again, uh, take this as I'm, as, I'm, as I'm saying it for what it's worth. I talked to... Uh, uh, counselor talked to some godly folk, and what I understand on this is that it is hard to close the books unless you really know what the, the total cost is, what the bottom line is. And so what you might need to do is sit down and just write out the bill. Write out how much this person has hurt you, what cost is, has been exacted on you, what you've had to pay, what it's done for you, Lay your pain on it. Let, it. let it be known. But then, after that, you have to incorporate something like this. I mean, you, have, you have to incorporate something like this. Say all that, how much the person has hurt you and what they've done. It's all true. Then you have to say something like this. However, you're, you're writing a prayer. I recognize that I have hurt you more than this. And often I forget that. You have created me and I have spurned you, your word, and have often, very often, gone after my own way. I have lied. I have gossiped. I have stolen. I have lusted. I have coveted. The debt I owed you was so much greater than I could pay. I was deserving of judgment and hell. You would have been just to give me what I deserved, but instead you gave me grace. 
You paid my debt. You sent your own son to be beat up and humiliated and tortured and die in excruciating pain in my place. For the longest time, you had a forgiving heart towards me. You paid my price while I didn't care about you and didn't care about your son given for me. You forgave me completely. I never have to worry about you bringing up my debt. It is really gone. Hence, I choose to forgive so-and-so for all they have done. From this day forth, I've erased their debt and am closing the books. Now, once you've, you've done that, you've made the decision. The books are closed. I am turning this, this debt over to God. He's a collection agency. I, I'm, I'm done with it. it. It's over. Will there still be angst? Oh, oh, yeah. What do you do with that? When you get around this person and you start feeling, what do you do? Well, this is, is what you do. Luke chapter 6. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. What you do is you let your actions be as forgiveness. Because if you act loving towards someone, like he just told us to do, someone who's our enemy, someone who, who owes us, they've got a lot of red ink on our ledger, if we've closed the books and we act towards them in a loving way, in a kind way, you know what? In time, our emotions will catch up with our volition, the decision that we've made. You know as well as I do, sometimes you love your spouse, sometimes eh, you don't love them as much. You, you, we can't, sometimes we, we, love, we, we feel forgiving, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we feel forgiven, sometimes we don't. Emotions are great, but they just don't always dictate what reality is. Sometimes I choose, as here, to be a, a forgiving person. It's 1939. Holland fell to Nazi Germany in only five days. When the soldiers, the Nazi soldiers came into Harlem, the Netherlands, to the area of, of Corey and Betsy Tenboom, they were working at their, their father's watch shop. Uh, they noticed as the soldiers came into their, their town in greater and greater number that the persecution of the Jews was a very real thing. And this bothered them because they had Jewish people who worked for them. But also as Christians, they saw what was going on and, and knew something had to be done. So they built into their watch shop. If you go there today, I have not, but I'm told if you go there today, you can tour it. And you can see the secret hiding rooms that they built in order to, to hide Jewish people, to smuggle them out at the right time. Well, the inevitable happened. In 1944, they were found out. Betsy and, and Corey both were sent to Ravensbrück, a concentration camp. And you can only imagine that which, which they went through there. It says that on arrival at Ravensbrück, the women were marched to the processing center for new arrivals. Here they had to pile all their belongings in the center of the room and then strip naked and also add their clothes to the pile. Naked they had to walk under bright lights and pass the scrutiny of a dozen guards towards the shower room. Using her ingenuity, Corey managed to take her sister into the shower room before undressing, and in this way she managed to hide her Bible, a bottle of vitamin pills inside a sweater, which later her sister would wear. By this stage, Betsy was emaciated and quite ill. The Bible became Corey's only comfort, and daily she would read from it to herself and to the other women. Thus, in that evil hellhole, Corey's faith blossomed, and all the time she watched her sister get sicker and die an agonizing death, but never once wavering in her faith. Well, Corey was released just before the end of the war, and then they were liberated. After the war, she went on a speaking circuit, and she, uh, talking about forgiveness of all things, and... Uh, she writes this in her book. She says, it was at a church service in Munich that I saw him. 
the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrook. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time, and suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fräulein, he said. To think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I, who had preached so often to the people in Bloomingdale the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed the silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. While into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our own forgiveness any more than it is on our own goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command, the love itself. Let me ask you, do you have any open accounts that you just need to close? They've been haunting you too long. Uh, there's no way in the world you can exact payment that will satisfy any way. It's time to close and give them over to him and obey and not fall prey to Satan's schemes and to reflect your father.